This is Big Sky Lead, a dive into the stories about how government and politics drive the direction of Montana. This podcast is from the reporters of the Montana State News Bureau in Helena, your eyes and ears on state government. It's produced by me, Tom Bridge. Our team brings you their reporting and the stories behind the coverage as the Montana State Legislature meets in an unprecedented session. So we've survived to day 45. Uh, we're halfway through the legislative session. The midpoint is also transmittal break, which is where any general bills, which are the policy ones that don't deal with money, have to make it out of the chamber they started in. So House bills need to clear the House and Senate bills need to clear the Senate. A lot can live or die on this timeline. And we saw that play out this week. Holly, uh, what major stuff is still alive? Yeah, there's a lot that happened over the last week and kind of the first half of the session so far. So we've already seen some pretty major COVID legislation, not only clear transmittal, but pass the legislature. That includes Senate Bill 65, which is that COVID liability shield bill. And then what cleared this week that was on that timeline, there's some policy bills that would change what public health officials can do for local communities um, in a pandemic, making them need approval from county or city commissions for actions that they take. And then also a bill that would look at the governor's powers and kind of limit how long he can do emergency declarations for those cleared out of the house on the transmittal deadline. The governor's tax proposals are pretty much sailing through right now. Um, Those all cleared chambers that they started in and are moving along. Another thing that Gianforte was touting is starting teacher pay, which is actually probably going to get signed this week pretty soon. That's cleared the legislature and I think on Gianforte's desk now. We've also seen some proposals that would expand telemedicine access clear. There's House bills and Senate bills that are moving through. a lot of those look at doing things just like expanding um, access to healthcare, like we have seen in the pandemic. So, you know, covering telemedicine more, um, making sure insurance pays for it, um, you're not requiring initial visits to be in person, a lot of those changes. There's also a bill that made it through that would make permanent direct patient care. Um, our previous state auditor issued essentially a memo saying that that was something that wasn't in his purview to oversee. So that sort of allowed that. And that's where you can enter into agreements with a healthcare provider, a clinic without insurance, where you kind of set an amount that you would pay for care there. There's also kind of a long healthcare bill that would have a third party review Medicaid enrollment in Montana to make sure that people who are on the program meet the qualifications for it. That cleared out of the Senate. And then there's pieces of broadband efforts to increase access across the state. There's you know, obviously different proposals from Democrats and Republicans about how to best address that. But other than one pretty notable bill that went down in the House yesterday, kind of a flip from it cleared second reading on a huge margin to dying on a pretty big margin, a lot of those broadband pieces are still moving through at this point, too. Uh, that's a good transition, Holly. Uh, what, what else didn't make it through the deadline? I think the thing that sticks out to me most and just went down in the House on Tuesday was right-to-work legislation, Um, kind of defeated by a pretty resounding margin after it cleared out of a committee. There was some acknowledgement. It was the House Business and Labor Committee when they kicked it out that they said, it's not so much we support this, we just want the whole House to debate it, um, 
which they did with a whole bunch of union members watching on Tuesday. And that went down. There's also some other bills that were defeated that would have limited uh, union actions that they could take. Also on pretty narrow margins in the Senate, there was a bill that would have made it illegal for doctors to assist terminally ill people in ending their lives. That went down in the Senate. There's also an effort to make interim committees um, more partisan. Those are those committees that meet when the session is adjourned, that do a lot of work like developing legislation and studying issues. But there are some other bills that would give those committees like more power over administrative rules that are still moving through the process. We also saw a bill that would have made Supreme Court elections partisan die. Um, So there's a lot of other efforts still out there that are advancing to give you change the judicial system in Montana. There's even a bill that um, would give the governor appointment in the judicial process. Um, that's on the way to Jim Porte's desk. So, hey Holly, do you mind putting this session into perspective? Um, this was a lot of stuff happening all at once, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, we saw the Senate had a session on Monday, they started at 8.30 and they got done around midnight to get all their work done. The house had two really long days too. Um, I think a lot of people cut the numbers different ways, but if you look at the number of bills like house and Senate took up on second and third readings, which second reading is when they do debate, third reading is when they just take their final vote on it. Those numbers were a lot higher than we've seen in past sessions. And also the other people are pointing to, this is a session with a new governor, your new heads of different parties, the new secretary of state, um, you know, all those statewide offices. So there are a lot of bills, but even if you compare it to those previous sessions, we've had a new administration and new people in still a lot of bills moving through kind of in that two day period before this transmittal break. You know, we talked to people who were lobbying on some of these you know, major pieces of legislation move through this. Like we saw a redo of the bill that would limit the type of care transgender minors can receive. That bill went down in the House initially. Um, you know, legislators were saying that it was a long process to get educated about it. And that led to them, you know, some of them flipped from voting for it to voting against it. And then that bill was revived and made it through in this last mad dash. And you talk to people who are like, you know, I don't have time to testify to the committee to fully explain my story. Cause like, you know, there are time limits on testimony and committee, which isn't uncommon, but you know, we heard some committees take up 20 bills in a day, which is a pretty heavy workload. So definitely a lot going on. You know, we heard from Republicans just saying that this is, you know, this is the crunch, this is transmittal, this is how it looks. Democrats were a little frustrated, I think, with committee assignments. A lot of bills went through judiciary committees, both House and Senate side, that Democrats were arguing had other components in them, like election bills, stuff like that. It could have gone to other community uh, committees to ease the workload. So a lot moving and um, yeah, made it through the first half though. How, how has, uh, you know, the, the high number of bills moving through um, this session um, from a reporting side, how's that different from past sessions you've covered having kind of a larger team to cover those bills? It's interesting to me because I look at this workload this session and think how unmanageable it would have been um, doing it, you know, solo or with even just one other reporter. So, I mean, it makes it hard because there's a lot of things that are all worth our attention. So for us, it's always an interesting conversation of picking which bills to cover, and especially in a crunch like this, you know, we might not pick up a bill in a committee 
if we know it's going to make it out of that committee and get to the floor, because then we'd be writing on the same thing two days in a row. And when there's a lot going on, it's hard to justify that versus trying to see where else we can be looking. So it makes coverage hard. It makes it hard for informing people. I probably got probably 30, 40 emails total over the last like week of people just like asking about legislation that they thought was coming, but they couldn't track where it was and didn't quite understand how it was moving through the process. So I think it makes it a challenge. I talked to one um, lobbyist who was saying like, we've got a spreadsheet that we use to track these bills. And it's hard for me to do that. I can't imagine what it'd be like for the public. So it definitely gets challenging on crunch time. Thanks, Holly. Uh, so now that we know how the first half went, uh, let's take a look at the second half. There's one huge thing that lawmakers will need to address when they come back into the session. And that's the implementation of recreational marijuana, which voters resoundingly approved in the 2020 election. Seaborn, you've been trying to untangle what the proposal will look like. Can you walk us through what you found out so far? Yeah, Tom, the last couple of weeks, we've just heard around the legislature, around the Capitol, um, about this massive bill that's kind of coming together behind the scenes. And uh, this week, I've talked to some people who said that work has been happening since before the session even started. Um, I think now is the time that this bill will kind of make its entry. Like we said, the second half of the session is all about the money. And so when we're talking about implementation of recreational marijuana, we're really we're talking about a regulatory framework and we're talking about the tax revenue and where that's going to go. And specifically, the, the tax revenue is going to be a, um, a, a big fight. So what did the referendum say about how the cannabis revenue should be spent? So Initiative 190, that was the legalization bill or uh, ballot initiative. Um, that specifically had uh, directed funding for, um, you know, I think about half of it was looking at public lands. Then after that, we were talking about veteran services and uh, it would go back to municipalities that um, allowed uh, marijuana businesses, healthcare. There's some of it going to the general fund. There's a lot of very distinctive, you know, direction for where this money was going to go. We've got the Bureau of Business and Economic Research at the University of Montana doing studies that show we're talking about more than $50 million in tax revenue by the market's fourth year. But um, wrong for Montana, that was the campaign against legalization. They filed a lawsuit that um, claims the initiative was unconstitutional because an initiative can't direct tax revenue. Um, that's that's in the Constitution. The only, the only body that can do that is the legislature, specifically the House of Representatives. And so um, while that question is actually in court right now. It's kind of an open question as to whether or not um, it will, it will, or that case will have any big effect on implementation at the legislature. That as, as of right now, the judge has kind of um, put a delay on the proceedings in that case to see what the legislature does. Now we've seen Governor Gianforte, um, he's already claimed that tax revenue for rehabilitation and treatment. And I think um, right now, everybody who's working on this bill kind of has their, their wish list or their priorities. And so we talked to uh, a Democratic uh, minority Senate leader 
um, Jill Kohenauer yesterday, and you know her perspective is the the money should go to where voters had um, thought it was going when they voted for the initiative. Uh, talked to Representative Mike Hopkins. He's a Republican from Missoula, and he is. Um, I think it's it's looking pretty solid. Like he will be carrying this bill eventually, but um, right now it's it's just a bill. But he, I mean, he's saying that everybody's everybody's got their um, priorities right now in this process. We're just talking about bringing everybody's priorities together and, and trying to come up with a regulatory framework. Um, that it, that I think Montanans can be confident in and, and believe that there's not going to be a whole lot of funny business going on with the black market uh, the same way that we, we saw with the, the medical industry in, in its earliest days. So regardless of what the legislature does, um, if wrong for Montana gets their way on this lawsuit, would it um, rule that revenue language unconstitutional or would it wipe out the entire um, uh voter initiative or do we not know you know the representative hopkins he he believes that this uh lawsuit no matter where it falls would not if if the judge is to rule that the that specific language in the initiative was unconstitutional he doesn't believe that that would be fatal to the entire initiative and to implementation and uh jd pepper peterson uh he was the the political director for the new approach Montana campaign that um, helped or brought and pretty much got over the line uh, legalization. He said that the way that that initiative was written um, was so that each clause, each line was, was severable. So if, if there was a problem with one, it could be taken out and, um, it, and the, the initiative keeps its structural integrity, so to speak. So um, I think regardless of that lawsuit, implementation is is happening. Um, the governor's budget depends on it. And that's, that's what he said at the, at the beginning of the year. So we've already seen lawmakers attempt to do things like delay implementation, right? Yeah. The first half of the session was really, I think in terms of marijuana, um, we saw some attempts to try to reel in, uh, what that industry will look like, what the market will look like, you know, um, one bill to delay, uh, the market opening for a year, uh, that went down. That didn't make it out of committee. You know, there's another bill <clears throat> aimed at recreational uh, businesses that wanted to restrict them to just 10 per county or maybe one per uh, 10,000 residents in a county. And that would have left uh, just 100 marijuana business licenses across the state, which is already you know, less than less than half of how many medical marijuana businesses are exist in the state now. And so, um, you know, the only the only marijuana bill that's passed so far in the first half of the session was to um, adjust the language in the recreational initiative that passed that allowed um, or basically set uh, juvenile marijuana possession charges kind of in, in the same line as uh, MIP bills or MIP penalties. Okay. And so you mentioned it a little bit before, but what lessons did the state learn from the medical program? You know, over the 15 years that it's been around, the uh, the medical program has seen a lot of turbulence. 
after five or six years, the the legislature took a big axe to medical because it was kind of the wild west back then. There was medical providers, uh, you know, bringing bringing pot in from the black market and growing pot and, and sending it out of the black market. You know, I've read court documents that talk about uh, you know secret rooms behind bookshelves at dispensaries where they were trying to hide uh, product from uh, inspectors, and so the 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 turbulence that they've gone through included you know a huge cut in the 2011 session uh that limited providers down to three uh patients all these things have made business totally undoable and so they've they the last couple sessions they've really taken regulation seriously at the legislature the probably the most important part is the seed to sale tracking system where you can track from the time the seed goes into the soil to the time that flower gets sold out the door. Um, that brought a lot of accountability into the industry for medical. And um, so that kind of framework, while no one's saying specifically yet um, that recreational marijuana is going to look a lot like medical marijuana. Um, I think that framework is kind of the perfect place for people to start looking at it. And uh, Representative Hopkins did tell me, you know, if you look at medical and what that framework looks like, the regulatory framework looks like, uh, you're going to have a pretty good idea of where this is going. And, and I know they're also looking at other states, but um, here in Montana, they've kind of found something that they um, they do think works, they have confidence in. So like you said, as as medical was, the medical program was becoming realized in the state, it kind of um, changed shape a couple of times. Um, as you're talking to people in the, the cannabis world and uh, lawmakers, um, are they seeing that this might be the future for recreational where it kind of gets toyed with um, the next few sessions? Or is there this idea that we learned so much from the medical program that they'll be able to roll out a pretty sustainable program this session on the recreational side? I think that's a really good question. And I think, um, I think everybody thinks there's going to be uh, tweaks in the next, in the next several sessions. I don't know. Um, I don't know how many things uh, really move along after the legislature and don't require some, some tweaks after, especially this is just a, an entirely new industry that's being set up in this state that, um, that, that we can only project how it's going to go. I know tourism is going to play a big role in, in how this tax revenue is projected. And I know, um, you know, what happens at the federal level is going to affect how, how banks feel that they can get involved in this. And so, um, there's, there are plenty of things, uh, within the next four or five years that, I think will require the legislature to, to come back and make some tweaks and tighten things up. But um, certainly there's some angst about, uh, you know, actually implementing uh, recreational marijuana before the election last year, there was already placeholder bills on file to, to repeal recreational if it, if it passed. And um, I've, I've talked, I've talked to enough Republican lawmakers who say that, yeah, there is some, uh, heartburn about about getting legalized weed on the books, but also it looks like we're past the the question of repeal and, and legalization is going to happen for sure. I had a question for you about that. So, like, looking at what you just ran down about, there's definite diversity of opinions within both the Democrat and Republican caucus about what 
the recreational program should look like, like for sure about the revenues, but even just the program. Like I'm wondering what you think might happen there then with getting something to go through. Like I've seen, we've seen a lot of bills live and die by just partisan margins in the last couple of days. And I'm wondering if like, you think there might need to be some sort of coalition because you can't just count on all Republicans supporting this or something like that. Like if you'd need to find some bipartisanship there to move whatever they want to across the finish line. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, Representative Mike Hopkins told me that there are uh, Republicans and Democrats kind of tinkering on this thing um, behind the behind the scenes. And uh, a spokesman for the for the House GOP told me yesterday that um, you know leadership really wants a good consensus bill so that this can clear. And one thing that kind of resonated with me, and I think with people um, who've been paying attention at the legis- at the legislature for a while, you know, Hopkins kind of identified this as certainly one of the big issues that's going to be taking up a lot of air in the second uh, half of the legislation, but he compared it to kind of the infrastructure, uh, you know, work that went into um, kind of figuring out bonding and uh, everything that kind of helped infrastructure pass in the 2019 session. Um, He's hoping to, to kind of see that same, um, you know, cohesive, just big table, everyone can have their say uh, on this just to make sure that we have consensus by the end of the session. And so um, certainly, certainly a diversity of opinions, but I think, I think passing something is, is the priority if we're not going to delay it. So uh, Seaborn, just to put a bow on it for folks who want to follow this legislation, are they, should they be looking for, is this going to be one bill brought by Hopkins or is it going to be a package of bills? At this point, we don't really know. Um, and, you know, the, uh, the, the point man seems to be uh, Mike Hopkins at this point, but we know, we know the governor's office is also closely involved in, in crafting this, um, whether, it, whether it takes multiple bills to kind of pull this together. Uh, I think, I think is, uh, to be seen. Thanks, Eborn. So another theme from the first part of the session is something you've talked about before, Sam, uh, which is the idea from the state GOP about addressing concerns they're raising about how elections are held in Montana. A lot of those bills moved through the flood of legislation this week. Uh, what were you tracking there? Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, this week has been uh, pretty busy in terms of election-related bills, um, both from Republicans and Democrats. Um, and even going back a little bit, I mean, we saw uh, last week some pretty major legislation move through um, in House Bill 406, which is um, kind of being referred to as BIPA 2.0. Um because it proposes some changes to the Ballot Interference Protection Act. Um, that was a that was a law that was passed by voter referendum back in 2018, um, and it effectively restricted ballot collection to family members, household members, uh, caregivers, and acquaintances. Um, ballot collections kind of a a practice that's that's been in place for a while, um, you know, and usually. It's for people that, you know, for one reason or another, aren't able to make it to a ballot drop-off place to turn in their absentee ballots. Um, so, you know, they they allow somebody else to carry their ballots in. Um, this has been something that Republicans have been targeting for a while. Um, this, this law passed back in 2018. It also restricted um, – 
the total number of ballots that somebody could collect to six. Um, then that law was struck down um, last year by a pair of uh, uh, state district judges in Billings who found that it was unconstitutional and um, basically interfered with people's rights to vote. Um, one of the judges also noted that uh, the law, the way it was written, um, kind of disproportionately affected Native Americans, um, elderly people, um, lower income people, and students, um, which Democrats have argued, um, you know, is targeted towards their uh, voter bases. Um, now, what this new law does, um, or new bill, I should say, is um, it basically puts back in the law most of those same restrictions. It removes the six ballot limit, um, but then it adds a couple um, additional steps that ballot collectors and those voters have to go through. They need to sign a form that gives permission for their ballots to be collected and turned in. And then the people collecting those ballots um, need to basically sign a registry, um, which would be maintained by the Secretary of State and would be public information. So somebody could request information on who's collecting how many ballots during an election. Um, this has been a pretty controversial one. Um, voting rights groups, Native American groups, Democrats are all arguing that, um, you know, that it would have a pretty major impact on, uh, you know, a lot of more liberal leaning groups of voters, but I mean, but also just people that um, you know, due to where they're living or socioeconomic issues, um, have a, a tougher time actually making it to uh, either an election office to vote in person or a drop box to drop off their ballots. Um, so this past uh, last week in the House um, on, I think, strictly partisan lines, um, which is the way most of these uh, Republican vote election initiatives have been going, um, and then that'll uh, that'll be taken up by the Senate um, after transmittal. Um, it was there were a couple Republicans that uh, one one notable um, Republican that criticized the bill to an extent was uh, Representative Geraldine Custer. She's a, a Republican out of Forsyth and is a, a retired longtime uh, clerk and recorder and election administrator in her county. Um, and she she made a point that, um, you know, I think has frustrated a lot of Democrats lately is that some of these bills that would normally be going through uh, one committee were being redirected to judiciary. And uh, this was an example of that. This went through judiciary. And Custer argued that some of the language in the bill was was pretty clunky and was going to need some work before it was ready for prime time. Um, and uh, she sits on that state administration committee that would normally have looked at that bill and uh, and been in charge of kind of cleaning up some of the language there. So that, that might get some further work over in the Senate. So what other uh, voting related legislation um, is still alive and uh, what died? Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, there, there has been a flood of, um, well, pretty much all legislation, but um, but certainly election-related bills coming through in the last week or two. Um, uh, one that passed was uh, um, a bill that was brought by uh, Representative Lou Jones, uh, which would revise the governor's emergency power to change election laws. Um, you know, Republicans are specifically looking at what Bullock did, uh, allowing counties to conduct all mail-in ballots last election. 
And while they generally haven't criticized um, the all-mail-in ballot election so much, they have been critical of the governor's ability to suspend election laws um, in the midst of a pandemic or if there were you know, some other kind of an emergency in the state. Uh, so this is a bill that basically would uh, would put the question to the legislature um, to uh, to kind of give a pr- final approval to um, a governor's proposal to, say, allow counties to hold all mail ballot elections. Um, a couple other ones that, that went through, um, there was a, uh, a Secretary of State initiative um, that would basically allow more rural polling places to uh, to hold, to have limited hours on election day. Um, this is something that actually has gotten some support from uh, county election administrators because um, you know they've had they've been struggling with staffing issues. Um, and then there have been another uh, sorry. <laughs> then there's been uh, a number of campaign finance related bills that have passed. Um, there's a bill that uh, passed from the Senate to the House um, that would exempt religious organizations from having to file as political committees. Um, there's another one um, opening up uh, joint fundraising committees in Montana. That's, uh, that's a, another type of fundraising committee that's not currently allowed in state law. Um, and then uh, there's another one that would eliminate aggregate political committee contribution limits. Um, and that was passed uh, on another party line vote um, earlier this week. Um, and then two, two pretty high profile ones that went down pretty quickly um, were a proposal to eliminate the commissioner of political practices and another proposal to eliminate all campaign contribution limits in the state. Those were both brought by uh, Cal Republican Derek Skies, and um, and they were unanimously tabled by the House State Administration committees. Hey, before we close out today, Sam, will you tell us about the Native American Voting Rights Act that's going through the legislature right now? Yeah, so that's uh, that's another House bill that is uh, going to get a little bit more time to get worked on past the normal transmittal deadline. Um, that was brought by Representative Sharon Stewart Paragoy. Um, at a Crow agency and um, is basically it, it would uh, it would create a minimum of two satellite election offices on each reservation in the state um, and also would uh, require that there be one place to deposit your absentee ballots um, in each town that's at least 10 miles away from an election office. Um, this is being brought kind of as a as a response to what's been a, a long-standing issue on reservations, uh, particularly rural Indian reservations in the state, where uh, a lot of the residents, um, you know, they either don't get postal delivery service or live a great distance from their nearest election office, um, and. Uh, and so this actually got uh, some pretty bipartisan support in the committee it was being heard in. Um, however, it came in pretty pretty close to the transmittal deadline. Um, you know, as, as we said earlier, there were a number of bills being heard in that committee over a pretty short period of time. Uh, so the chair of that committee, uh, Republican Wendy McCamey, actually um, asked for an amendment that would uh, basically just put some money in there to 
technically turned it into a revenue bill. And that enables lawmakers to kind of take a, a couple extra weeks to get some of the details hammered out on that. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's got some legs and, um, you know, it might get it might get worked on a little bit. I think Republicans are probably going to have some issues with some of the costs once the fiscal note comes out on that. But um, yeah, I think we can expect to, to see that one surviving uh, at least for a little bit longer in the legislature. All right. That's another episode of Big Sky Lead. Uh, we'll be back next week um, after the transmittal break when the legislature reconvenes. Um, thanks, guys. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom.